Welcome back to the Global Startup Movement. I'm your host, Andrew Berkowitz. We are now less than one month away from our upcoming Global Startup Summit, a seven-day virtual conference featuring 35 of the world's top experts in startups and venture capital. Today's episode is an exclusive sneak preview into just one of the incredible sessions that we've recorded. This won't be the full feature. To see that and all the other sessions, you can sign up now for free at globalstartup.tv. Today's episode features William Bao Bean, who is a general partner at SOSV, which is one of the world's most active seed funds, as well as the managing director of the China Accelerator, which is China's leading internet startup accelerator based in Shanghai. This clip is from the keynote session for Asia Pacific Day, which is all about understanding the Chinese startup ecosystem, something that is incredibly important given China's rapid rise into becoming the world's largest economy in probably just a few years. I hope you enjoy it, and be sure to head on over to Global Startup TV to claim your free spot in the upcoming Global Startup Summit 2019. Entrepreneurship has become a global phenomenon. Uncover the stories of entrepreneurs and investors worldwide. From Sub-Saharan Africa to Silicon Valley and beyond. Here on the Global Startup Movement. Now, here's your host, Andrew Berkowitz. All right, so we are here with William Bao Bean, who is the Managing Director of China Accelerator and the general partner at SOSV, which is the most active seed fund in the world. Uh, but this talk is focused specifically on the Chinese startup ecosystem. Uh, so, well, can you start us off with maybe just a little bit uh, about you? And I would really love to hear more about the, uh, the, the China Accelerator model. Sure. Uh, so my name is William Bean. I've been doing tech investment now 22 years. Uh, started off in uh, Asia, then back to the U.S., then back to Asia again. Uh, but uh, you can basically cut up my career into two parts. The first half, I was an equity research analyst. So my job was uh, to explain technology uh, to traditional uh, institutional investors. Uh, and I did that in, in, in the U.S. with Bank of America and Bear Stearns, who is no longer with us. Uh, and then in Asia, mostly with Deutsche Bank. Uh, and uh, while at Deutsche Bank, this is, uh, you know, in the, in the early 2000s, mid 2000s, I actually covered China Internet. Uh, when it was very, very small. So the total value of China Internet at that time was maybe $3 billion. Wow. Uh, and uh, by 07, when I, I quit to, to, to move to BC, it was $18 billion in market cap. And now it's somewhere around $2.5 trillion. Uh, so it's been a wild ride. Uh, and then now for the last 12 years, so 11, 12 years in equity research, now 11, 12 years in, in BC, uh, my focus is um, uh, helping... Uh, technology and technology companies go cross-border. Uh, so for SOSV, uh, which is our fund, and the China Accelerator, uh, Accelerator which I, I run, which is the first accelerator to start in Asia, we help companies from all around the world uh, expand to Asia and expand to China. Uh, so China is the number two economy in the world, soon to be number one. Uh, it's a pretty important market. It's also a very difficult market to enter. Uh, so we help smooth that path and uh, help uh, startups from around the world take a very data-driven approach to China market entry. Right. And I mean, it's, that seems to me like a super valuable uh, proposition because it seems like most Western companies that enter China uh, completely drop the ball, completely fail. And a, a little bit of the vice versa too, where some, uh, and this is actually changing, I think 
uh, TikTok in particular has completely swept over uh, a lot of the, the, the U.S. teenager market right now. Um, but it seems like historically a lot of Chinese companies exiting or, or at, trying to enter Western markets also meet the same fate. And so yeah, I, think I mean, the, a, the, the Chinese guys have the same problem that the U.S. guys have in that they don't really localize. You know, they right. think that uh, their product that they created is, is awesome. It's great. Um, now it's starting to change a little bit in that the Chinese companies are using technology, mostly machine learning, uh, to make things very, very much personalized. And when you're using data to personalize something, it actually does sort of localize a bit. Um, so people get to see what they want to see. Uh, right. But uh, the, the Chinese, uh, the international companies have, have uh, at least in internet and software, uh, especially internet, have, have basically failed in China. Uh, what we've seen on the other side is that the Chinese companies, um, for the most part, have not have been successful in Northern Europe, and, uh, Western Europe and, and North America, uh, but they have been quite successful uh, in the other mobile first, mobile only markets. So markets where people's first experience with the Internet is on a mobile phone, uh, where their only experience with the Internet is on a mobile phone. So, for example, five of the top 10 apps in India are Chinese. Hmm, that's interesting. I, th I think, I mean, it's the same case and I, I do a lot of work in Africa and uh, I mean, you, you really see the, the, uh, the influ economic influence of China, particularly in, in, in Africa and a lot of emerging markets. Uh, but I remember my last trip to, uh, to Nigeria on the, uh, the bridge into the mainland, there was a big, uh, what, what was it? Cheetah, Cheetah mobile, uh, I yeah. believe is, um, I guess like a Chinese internet or, or I ISP in, in the country. And so, you know, you definitely see the, the influence of Chinese companies entering those markets when you're on the ground. Um, but I've, I've yeah. learned a lot. I've learned a lot just by watching some of your uh, YouTube talks. Um, and okay. <laughs> one, one super interesting thing that, that you've talked about is, um, and I think this does a really good job of, of painting the overall ecosystem is kind of the, the sectors that China is behind on and the sectors that they're ahead on. Uh, so could you kind of touch a little bit on, uh, like right now in 2018, 2019, what are those sectors that um, China is a little bit ahead on and a little bit behind on? Yeah, so you can look at the development of, of China in a couple of different ways. One, uh, it's almost like a separate internet. Uh, China is a, a internet is an intranet, actually. Um, so, for example, uh, companies who do not follow Chinese law, their, their services are blocked here. Uh, for example, most of the Google services. Um, uh, on the other hand, you have a, a leapfrog effect. So when you, you know, in the U.S., you have 100, 150 years of retail infrastructure. You've got a lot of stores. You've got, you know, you've got payments. You've got credit cards that pretty much everybody has. And, and, and people can pay for things online and offline pretty easily. But in China, uh, people didn't have credit cards. People don't have a lot of retail stores here. You know, there are only a couple thousand McDonald's in all China, and that's not enough to serve, uh, you know, the 1.5 billion people here. Uh, so you've had a, a, a leapfrog effect where, for example, for e-commerce, uh, China is very far ahead. It's maybe double um, the amount of total sales um, for, for goods um, in terms of percentage. You know, China is like 25%, uh, whereas the U.S. is in the, is in the low, low mid-teens in terms of total amount of retail spend that goes online versus offline. Um, so there's uh, areas where China's behind. For example, Chinese companies are not in the habit of paying for software. Um, so the, there's not much of a SaaS market. Now it's rapidly changing. SaaS is turning to, to, to pick up. 
uh, especially as, as China becomes more and more competitive. Uh, Chinese companies are not building it all in-house. Uh, you know, they're, they're starting to leverage outside technology uh, as a way to have a competitive edge. But traditionally, um, Chinese companies did not outsource. They did not use third-party software. They're very afraid of, of opening up their, their customers' data to a third party. Uh, and, and so um, you have areas like SaaS uh, or even uh, financial services where they're behind, um, but e-commerce very far ahead, you know, uh, mobile wallet payment. So wallet payment in China, uh, four or five years ago, China was 50 times larger than the U.S. in terms of wow. mobile wallet payment. Now, U.S. is catching up. So China is only 20 times larger than the U.S. now. Uh, so the mobile wallet payment um, is about 12 and a half trillion in China. Uh, it's like 2017 uh, versus U.S. is about uh, 50 billion. Uh, so uh, uh, that should be uh, 2025 times. Yep. Got it. So, I, yeah, so it's a it's an interesting market to operate in. Um, the one thing that you do, you know, the challenges that you have when you enter a new market um, are always there. But when you enter a, a market like China, where the local players have more money than the foreign players, you know, the, the, the amount of VC in the US uh, over the last couple of years, maybe about 80 billion a year, 90 billion a year, you know, 2018 was a banner year for US VC. Uh, China VC was also pretty strong, though, it was like 50, 60 billion US dollars. Uh, so the local players are very well funded, extremely competitive. Uh, and that makes it hard for global players to come into China. Right. And I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty obvious to me that really with the current trajectory of, of capital and talent, really, that the next Silicon Valley is going to be in China. Um, but I am, well, first off, I'm, I'm super glad that I guess Zoom is playing by the rules in China because I wasn't 100% sure if this was going to work for this interview. Um, and so I'm glad, yeah. uh, I'm glad Zoom well, is it got, it got a little blocked for a little while, but it's working now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, you, you got to remember there are more unicorns in China than there are in the U.S. So, yeah. yeah. Right. Um, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, you know, one thing that stands out to me within the e-commerce space, and, and this is more of like a, a demographic and, and social trend thing, but um, it seems like when it comes to marketing, it's not so much uh, like just like running Facebook ads being transactional. It seems like a lot of the, um, the, the marketing, it's, it's more branding, it's more social selling uh, where like yeah. you know, brands are leveraging followers. Uh, and, so, and so I guess why, why, why do you think it's, it's played out that way in, in China? Sure, sure. So I think, I mean, this is one area where China is very far uh, away uh, ahead of uh, the North America and Western Europe. So uh, in the U.S., you have uh, e-commerce where, you know, you kind of have sort of intent. I, I want to buy a new phone and then you go do some research and you type in phone or whatever. And then you go to Google and you learn about the different phones and then you click on Google and you go to a place to buy a phone. Um, or sometimes you go to your cell phone store. It could be, you know, anything, car. Uh, or even like a t-shirt. Um, whereas uh, uh, in China, um, there's been traditionally less trust. Uh, so it's difficult to trust what you read on the internet. Uh, it's difficult to trust you know, uh, traditional media because traditional media uh, is usually bought and paid for. Uh, so who are you gonna trust? Well, you trust other people. Um, so in the US, you have e-commerce. In China, you have what we call social commerce where people are recommending products. Now. Most Chinese people know that the people recommending the products are getting compensated in some way for recommending those comments, those products. So in the U.S., people used to give bloggers shit 
for, um, you know, for recommending products and that was seen as a bad thing. Well, in China, people, you know, they, 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 um, they have a pretty strong radar in terms of who's getting paid and how much they're getting paid for promoting something. And it's pretty easy to tell whether somebody generally really likes a product or is just getting paid up there to, to promote it. Um, but that, that um, trust comes from, well, this person is pretty legit. This, this, this influencer or this blogger, um, you know, they're, they're, you know, they're giving me information on this product. They're using the product. Okay. I can use that product. Um, yeah. so social commerce is much bigger here and it's been very, very big, like five, $6 billion in spend, uh, on influencer marketing. This is like 2017, um, uh, which is a, a multiple of what you saw in the U S now the U S is starting to catch up. And the reason that why that is, is traditionally, uh, you know, if you look at the, the, the product roadmap for Facebook for the last two years, it's a giant like WeChat clone. I'm talking about Facebook, the company, not like Facebook, the product is a giant WeChat clone. Uh, so they split off messenger and they're trying to put payment in, they're trying to put uh, commerce in uh, and they're trying to follow that model uh, because uh, fundamentally uh, Facebook and Google, they're media companies. So you have, you come in and you see media and media gets paid for mostly by games and commerce companies. So there's three types of, you know, you, you can make money on games, you can make money on commerce or you can make money on media. And Facebook makes money on media. Google makes money on media. The Chinese companies don't make money on media. Uh, they make money on actually selling the products. They make money on selling the games. Um, so which business would you rather be in? The media business or actually getting a cut of each transaction? Uh, so for Tencent and for Ali, they take a cut. Uh, basically, they take a cut around uh, each transaction that happens. Uh, same with games. They take a cut of uh, the games revenue. Uh, whereas the U.S. companies, they're basically advertising firms. So they get, they're taking a cut of a cut. Um, and if you look at Google, where's the soft underbelly of Google? Well, Google still makes almost all their money uh, from Google ads. But when you replace media, when media is no longer relevant, when ads are no longer relevant, when you're going to trusted friends or online friends or celebrities or bloggers uh, to getting recommendations, um, then that media becomes less important and you know, uh, those, those media companies could end up being uh, in quite a bit of trouble. Uh, so this is not, this, this battle is not really happening in North America. It's not really happening in, in, in China. The interesting thing is the first area where the sort of the global internet leaders are starting to bump into the, the China leaders is actually uh, in India uh, and in, in, in Indonesia, uh, where you've got um, uh, the big global players going kind of head to head uh, with uh, invest companies invested in by the Chinese players and sometimes directly with the Chinese players like uh, Xiaomi. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think we see that kind of the, um, the, the start of that playing out just in the headlines that we're seeing, uh, for example, with Walmart's huge, huge investment into, into Instacart, I believe it was. Yep. Um, I think, I mean, just the amount of money uh, that, that they, that they spent for that investment, I think really sheds light into uh, the, the urgency a lot of corporates are feeling in, in some of these markets. Um, and so, I mean, it, it makes a lot of sense there's that competition. Well, uh, they got their butts kicked in China, so they don't want to lose India. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Walmart failed, basically failed in China a couple of times. Yeah. So it's been tough for them. Got it. And so can you speak a little bit on, about like, like WeChat, like Tencent is like the way they're run as a company is, is really interesting to, to learn about just, 
I mean, in the face of the innovators dilemma that, you know, we, we often talk about here in the West with our big companies, it seems like Tencent and the way these, these huge com- tech companies in China operate is just like a, uh, I mean, dog eat dog internally trying to disrupt themselves. Uh, but can you talk a little bit about, you know, how these companies are run? Because I think it, it really sheds a light on, on the ecosystem as a whole. Yeah, so a lot of people look, oh, these big Chinese companies, Ali, Tencent, you know, they're run as a, you know, they think about them as a company in the U.S. sense, or even like the Chinese government, they think about the the Chinese government as one entity, where in fact, um, within, you know, these these companies, there's lots of companies within inside the companies. So, um, you know, back four or five years ago, there's 519 product groups in, in Tencent. Now there's probably over a thousand. And each of these product groups uh, is run like a separate startup. So you have a product manager uh, or two, and they're sort of like the CEO, they have a budget, they have a team, and they're going after a, a particular challenge and they can do whatever they want it, they, they, they want to do in order to make that a success. Um, and so that could mean, you know, crushing a independent startup and, you know, uh, and taking market share from them. It also could mean uh, going head to head with another, company within Tencent or another group within Alibaba. Uh, and, and so this uh, means that you do not have the innovator's dilemma. There's no dilemma because uh, you're always uh, cannibalizing your own markets. You're always cannibalizing your own, um, you know, almost competitive products. Um, and uh, there's less cross promotion. Um, so uh, companies like Tencent had to create internal structures uh, where um, one group could actually work with the other, but generally they're very, very, very independent uh, and they're not particularly cooperative. Uh, and as a result, you've got, you know, WeChat, which started off as a, you know, a, a couple person group, um, you know, six, seven years ago, uh, and is now, you know, probably a two, $300 billion uh, valued um, within the, 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 the Tencent company. Um, and that's, that's very, very, very fast. Uh, so um, you end up uh, with a sort of lean startup applied at scale. Uh, and uh, a lot of corporates and a lot of Western companies don't know how to, how to react to this because the competition here moves so, so quickly. Um, so, and then that's starting to bleed out into the rest of the world. So you have like, uh, the first battle, which was level playing field. Um, everybody had about the same amount of money was DD versus Uber. When Uber came into China, they spent about 2 billion. DD spent about 2 billion, give or take. The government didn't come down on either side one way or the other. They, they actually both, uh, tried to, uh, push back in different provinces on both of those companies relatively equally. Uh, and, you know, Uber fought DD basically to a draw. Uh, and so that's the best outcome that we've seen in internet of an internet, uh, international player coming in versus a local player. Now, uh, DD learned a lot from that experience because Uber was using mad like personalization they had really, really, really good uh, tech people. Uh, and so uh, DD learned from that and has, um, you know, taken many steps further. Uh, and now uh, Didi is going out into other markets. So they, they've gone into Brazil. They did a, a, a investment in 99. Uh, they airdropped 57 uh, engineers into Brazil, uh, helped that company rebuild its tech platform from the bottom, bottom up. And then, you know, within less than a year about, they're like, hey, well, this is going pretty well. We're going to buy the company. So Didi then bought 99 and they're the number one 
uh, car sharing platform in, in, in Brazil now. Um, so you're seeing um, this, uh, the, the uh, personalization uh, and uh, I guess people call it AI, but it's, it's mostly machine learning uh, that's driving personalization. So China might not be ahead uh, in AI overall, uh, certainly not probably in the academic uh, sphere, but in terms of implementing it in everyday products, uh, that get to everyday people. If you're not using personalization, technology-driven personalization, uh, which is using personal data uh, to provide a better user experience, if you're not using that, you're not competitive in this market. Uh, and uh, what happens when uh, Chinese-backed, Chinese-invested companies uh, in other markets like India and Indonesia, well, they get like this sort of, not just a cash infusion, but they get a tech infusion and the other players on the ground, whether it be the U.S. players or even the local players backed by like SoftBank Vision Fund, uh, they, they, they have difficulty competing against not just the Chinese capital coming into uh, emerging markets, but also uh, the tech. Um, because, um, you know, I'll give you an example. So Didi, uh, which is the Chinese Uber, uh, you know, I just moved uh, and I live... Um, in like a little compound, you know, I have a house and there's a wall around it and the address is for the compound, not for my house. So, you know, I, I, I put the typed in the address to my house and it stops at the gate, but I don't live at the gate. I live in my house. So the, you know, the driver kept on driving in, dropping me off of my door, dropping me off on my door. After a week, DD knew that I didn't live at the gate, that I lived inside. And so it would automatically take me to my house. Now yeah. in the U S you probably find that creepy. Um, but in China, we call that good service. Uh, so I don't have to, I don't have to keep on telling the driver, okay, left, right, left, right. There's my house on the end. It just goes there automatically. So, yeah. uh, uh, and for most people around the world, especially in the mobile first mobile only markets, uh, they're really happy with good service, uh, and they're less interested in, um, you know, protecting their data. Uh, yeah. it's, uh, might be cultural. It might be historical, uh, but for whatever reason, uh, good service counts for a lot. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't necessarily call that specific use case too, too creepy. One, one thing that is super creepy though, is I got an email a couple of days ago from Google maps that was like your, your month in review. And it was just like a timeline of everywhere I was during the month. And I was like, huh, that, that, yeah. that's interesting. Um, so, you know, yeah, well, there's, interesting uh, there's a, they, they track everywhere you go. Um, and, uh, and you can actually download it and there's a, I forgot the name of it, but if you type in, um, you know, Google location and mapping, uh, you can get a history of everywhere you've ever been down to the minute since you started carrying their, their, their device. Um, and, and it's uh, and you can like scroll it around and, and see every place that you've been. Uh, it's a, it's pretty cool. It's also a little strange. So yeah, yeah. it is. But, I, mean, I, but I, you love, can, I love my Google pixel. So, you know, it is what it yeah. is. I guess. Well, think about, think about how, think about what this means for financial inclusion. You know, so in the U.S. or, or Western Europe, you have structured data, you have a bank account, you have payment history, you have lots and lots of information that's been collected since the beginning of time. Uh, and so, and then you get a credit score. Well, what did credit scores start off with? In, in New York, they started off with credit scores and they used to go and interview your neighbors and ask you about, is this a good person or a bad person? Um, well, what happens when you go to, you know, Southeast Asia or, or even China until recently, um, that you didn't have a lot of that structured data, that payment data, you didn't have that history. You didn't have, you know, uh, almost a hundred years of, of, of credit score, 
um, uh, to, to, to rely on. Um, so in, in, in Southeast Asia, like 520, 530 million credit scores uh, for people. But there's like two and a half billion people uh, with phones out there. Uh, and so we're using a lot of this technology, a lot of this data um, to, yeah, to, to basically solve the problem of credit scoring. So where in the past people could not get loans, now for the first time ever they can get a loan. Now they might not want the loan, but the, the first time they, there's the things such as consumer credit or even small medium business credit, which did not exist before, is now uh, now exists. Um, and so this is the, the the way that technology changes uh, your life in North America or Western Europe is very different than the, the way that technology is changing the lives of Chinese over the last decade. Um, but increasingly, those in Indonesia and India. I mean, half of the people in India are basically illiterate. So, but they have smartphones. So what, you know, so these are the, the problems that we're looking at investing in and solving. Uh, a lot of the, what we've seen in China uh, can be applied to the rest of the world, but not necessarily in North America. Um, so there's, there's the challenges with going, you know, coming into the China market and we help with that with China Accelerator. Um, and there's the challenges of going into Southeast Asia and South Asia and some of these other markets. Uh, and we help with our MOX, uh, MOX, Mobile Only Accelerator, uh, for, for those. But in the end, um, there's a lot. Thanks for listening. Be sure to add Andrew on Snapchat at andberk, that's A-N-D-B-E-R-K, to see firsthand a day in the life of an entrepreneur in cities all around the world. 